Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Some of you are like, that's it. <laughs> what happened to the chair? Every single week, we'll take you on a little journey as that chair actually walks through the same process that we're going to walk through as we explore a new series called Broken Redefined. Andy Casagrande films great white sharks for fun. He comes face to face with them just so you can turn on your TV to Discovery Channel and enjoy something known as Shark Week. This is a picture of Andy in the water, and I have questions. <laughs> Why would anyone go face to face with a great white shark for the sake of a photo? Why would anyone want to actually encounter that kind of a predator? Why would anyone touch a shark on the nose? Why would anyone go outside of a plexiglass safety cage that you could easily take a photo of the same shark through? I mean, why would you want to get that close and personal with something that dangerous? Casa Grande says that, that, that you need to understand not necessarily the, the why he would do this sort of thing, but, but how he actually goes about it. In an interview, he said this, he goes, you can't actually swim away immediately even though they're coming right at you because if you act like prey, they're going to say to themselves, oh, cool, there's something I'm going to eat. He said, the best thing that I found to do in dealing with a great white shark sounds counterintuitive. You swim right at them. You always keep eye contact, you swim directly at the shark because that seems to trigger a defensive mechanism because they're thinking, wait a second, nothing swims right at me, I'm a great white shark. 
Everything veers around me. Even orcas, the only animal that's crazy enough to take on a great white shark, will attack them from the side. He says, the reality is this. If you don't act like prey, they won't treat you like prey. You swim right at it, and it will veer away. For years, I was afraid to confront the emotional and spiritual sharks that circled my own soul. And many of you find yourself in exactly the same place. I had done a lot of work in my journey, 12 steps recovery, all different kinds of pieces in my life pre-Christ the King. But I'm going to start, and I've shared that story with you probably too many times in dealing with my own addictive issues, but I'm going to start my story today in 2004 after I was called to be the senior pastor of this church. God called me deeper into a journey that would turn into a lifelong process of redefining broken. God asked me to confront my spiritual issues and to go a little deeper than I'd ever gone before. And I'll be honest with you, it was scary. God called me to deal with my deferred grief, my low-grade spiritual disappointment, my abandonment issues, and my constant need to make every single person in the room happy with me. I dove in to confront these sharks in my soul, and it was gloriously horrible. I'm going to walk with you today through my journey. Many people believe that 12 steps is reserved for people that struggle with addiction. And we are so quick to brush this off, especially the 930 mostly churched crew. Let's be honest. We're so quick to brush this stuff off. It's like, I'm not addicted to anything. This isn't for me. But if we were to be honest, we all have things in our lives that we're afraid to confront. And they just keep circling us over and over and over again. Some of us, if we were honest, we actually think recovery is just a cheap substitute for God really working in your life. And we would tell people, you know what you need to do? Just pray a little harder, read a few more scriptures, and your little problems will just shrivel up and go away. Some of us, if we're honest, we think recovery is a man-made attempt at self-help. And because we've already discovered self-help don't help, we just push the pass button before Grant even starts talking. I've got a question for you, spiritual veterans and everybody else in the room. What if you're wrong? What if wholeness, I mean real life wholeness, is God's plan? And what if taking a journey towards wholeness is actually the Holy Spirit's desire for every single human being inside of this room? One of our values here, Christ the King's recovery. Over years, I have found more heroes in the recovery community than anywhere else that I've ever encountered them. I've seen people do unbelievably hard work. I've seen people embrace brokenness and depend so fully on God every single day that their courage was awe-inspiring to me. I've watched people shake their way through a recovery process, living off scripture and prayer like it was food and water. I have been amazed at the depth of prayer that I've experienced in a 12-step group as people were unbelievably honest and overcame unbelievable obstacles in their past. And as I have watched our recovery family here at Christ the King grow and blossom, I began to discover a biblical plan for wholeness. 2004, I dove in and I started my own spiritual journey of recovery, and that journey continues to this day. Two Mondays from now, I will officially start step 109. You can do the math, just so you know. It's a work in progress. If you need a perfect pastor, you are in the wrong church, and you probably need to go somewhere else, because if you thought there was any semblance of perfection going on on this, on this platform, by the time we're done this morning, I will have convinced you otherwise, just so you know. 
Since undertaking this journey, my life has never been the same. I embarked on the journey with two brave friends. They have heard me say out loud, I don't need recovery, I'm a pastor. And they would smile and nod and pray for my denial, and off we would go on our journey together. So this is my story of 12 steps, a spiritual journey. I grew up in a great family with great parents and a solid church. I was born a perfectionist who constantly lifted his own bar and never needed a critic because I did that just fine on my own. I was prone to rages of insecurity, fits of arrogance in the strangest of moments. I was anal retentive to a scary degree. I still have to line up my pencils in order of height and arrange my silverware so it lines up with the bottom of the napkin just so I can relax enough to eat. Yes, it bothers me that OCD is not in alphabetical order. I could never figure out why people's opinions of me mattered so much, and I could never figure out why someone who loved Jesus as much as I did was never, ever really happy. I felt inadequate all the time. I felt unworthy every second of every day, and my spiritual life boiled down to me feeling like a little monkey with a silver cup, trying to please an angry organ grinder by the name of God, hoping that somebody would just put five cents worth of love into my cup. Had the best of everything, deep down inside, was never good enough for anybody, especially God. And I was plagued by a verse of Scripture. It drove me crazy. The Bible says, before every man, there lies a wide and pleasant road. It seems right, but ends in death. And I would stand backstage some weeks, getting ready to preach, asking God a question. Is this all there really is? Is this it? I knew about God's amazing love, preached about it all the time. I could sing amazing grace backwards and forwards. It felt like, but I always disqualified myself. That was for somebody else in the room. So like a lot of you, I became an onion. Lots of layers. Sweet if cooked, but a bitter if you bit right into the core. It's just a broken combination of ego and insecurity, and I tried to compensate for my insecurity, insecurities by doing a lot for God. I'm going to do a lot for you, God. I'm going to be the best pastor, the best servant, the best worker, and I thought I was doing it right. My motto was burnout for Jesus, and this is what happened. At the rate at which I was doing God's work, it was absolutely destroying the work of God in me. And I kept asking, is this it? I felt like I was spiritually dying from the inside out. And I was finally ready for step one. For the record, every one of these steps came out of Scripture, not the other way around. All of this started with Bible, and then people started grabbing a hold of it. Step one, I admitted I was powerless over the effects of our separation from God, that my life had become unmanageable. I did that step because I read Romans 7, verse 18, which says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That's my sinful nature, for I desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I'll tell you what, as a controlling perfectionist, I just about choked on the words powerless and unmanageable because I had spent my life not being either one of those. I wanted to be completely in control. Managing my life, I was just fine, unless you found me crying backstage saying, God, why did you ask me to do this job? 
My words were empty. My faith was drying up because I was trying to do life on my own terms. I was powerless and my life had become unmanageable. And I tried really, 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 really hard. And some of you have been trying really, 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 really hard. And you've discovered what I've discovered. Our good, it's just not good enough. I needed help. I hated to admit that, but I needed help. So moved on to step number two. I've come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Just so you know, we've named our higher power at Christ the King Community Church. His name is Jesus Christ. That will never change, period. End of sentence. There's no debate. Just so we're clear. I did step number two because Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I'd spent my whole life telling people, trust God and follow him. And I have a conviction. I don't like preachers who don't practice what they preach. So I didn't like myself very much at this point because I was struggling to trust God and follow him. I'd spent my life exhausting my own willpower and it had left me broken and empty. What I needed was a new definition of willpower. I needed willpower redefined I needed God's will empowering my life. Romans eleven thirteen 13 says everything comes from God alone. Everything comes from his power. So what I needed was a definition of willpower that allowed me to become willing to accept God's power in my life, a power that could actually change something. So I asked God to work a miracle in me and started with acknowledging that my nice, tidy little OCD world was completely out of control. I moved on to step number three. I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. I did that because Romans 12 verse one said, I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. In moving through the first three steps, I said out loud for the first time, I can't do this anymore. And as a pastor... I decided to let God take over moment by moment, day by day. And on that journey, I learned something. If you will not surrender to Jesus Christ, you will surrender to something else. For some of you, it's anger. For some of you, it's grief. For some of you, it's compulsive eating. For some of you, it's judgment. For some of you, it's technology. The average American checks their phone and social media over a hundred times a day. That's a compulsive behavior that comes out of your brain. Some of you are twitching right now because as soon as I said technology, you could have swore you got a text on your phone and it's in your pocket and you can't check it right now. (laughs) For some of you, it's gaming. For some of you, it's porn. For some of you, it's self-condemnation. For some of you, it's religion. And the list goes on and on and on and on. I had to get real and get honest, so I got on, moved on to step number four. I made a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. I did that because Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40 says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. I did my first inventory on an airplane to Atlanta. I was so thankful it was a red-eye flight and the engines were loud because nobody was paying attention to the guy in the corner who for the first time ever got really, really real and just laid out all of my garbage on paper. That inventory just about killed me because I was a nice, tidy, religious church-going kid. And for the first time, I got really honest about the condition of my heart And in my brokenness, a very whole God showed up and said, 
there is a better way. So I moved on to step number five, a step of confession. I admitted to God myself and to another human being the exact nature of my wrongs. I did that because James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. One of my two friends was John Havland. John will be here at the 1115 service, and he will get frustrated with me afterwards because I'm talking about him again in church, but I'll tell you what, I'm not sure I'd be here if it wasn't for John Havland and my wife. I remember sitting down with John when I came to this step. John was on our church council at the time. I thought, what I'm going to share with John, I'm going to lose my job. But I knew I had to do it because I was sick and tired of living with this burden. And I thought, well, the Bible says confess your sin to each other. Okay, let's give it a shot. We went to Dutch Mother's Restaurant in Linden, Washington. We both knew why we were there. So I opened my book and I launched into my list. And for the next 60 to 90 minutes, I didn't even look up. I just read all of the garbage that I had dredged up in my soul. And when I was done, I closed my book and I sat there with my head down and I heard a voice. Sir, would you like more coffee? I needed something stronger than coffee. I'm just being honest, okay? And then I heard John's beautiful, gravelly, tender voice say, thank you for trusting me. I love you more now than I did an hour ago. I've been a Christian a long time. And I finally understood God's acceptance. I had no more secrets and the lies just started getting peeled away. It's the lies that you hear too, by the way, just in case you're wondering if it's just me. Because you hear the lie all the time. You're never going to change. You'll lose your job if people actually know the real you. Nobody's going to want anything to do with you if they actually peel back the mask. You can escape your past if you just ignore it long enough. We've all told the lies. We've all heard them. But finally... Because I did what Scripture said, I learned that confession really is good for the soul. (laughs) I acknowledged my faults, and now change could begin because we were starting with a clean slate. So we moved on to step number six. I was entirely ready to have God remove all the defects of character. I did that because James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. I'm going to tell you something. This is not a fun activity. Most people bail on 12 steps at step four as they don't have the courage to do a fearless moral inventory. The rest of them drop out at step six. This is hard work. Watching God haul away the garbage is a painful process. But it's necessary if you're going to allow God to transform everything. And he needed to do that for me. He needed to transform my mind, my way of thinking, my assumptions, my perceptions, my dreams, my goals, my warped self-image, all of it. God had to rebuild me from the inside out. I remember John asking me once, Grant, who signed your report card? Like, who do you give the authority to to give you an A plus or a D? And my answer to John was, John, it would be easier to tell you who doesn't get to sign my report card because I've never met a human being that I didn't offer an opportunity to let me know where I stood on their scale. And that's when the lights came on for me. I've dealt with multiple addictions in my life. The one that has caused the most pain and the most hurt, my root 
issue. I'm addicted to pleasing people. And that's not a good addiction to have when you're a pastor. That addiction has crushed more people that I love than anything else in my life. I had to humble myself and ask God to remove a people-pleasing nature and replace it with a God-pleasing nature. And I'm going to tell you something. It was like shedding skin. It was ugly, and I bled, and Jesus was there. So we moved on to step number seven. I humbly asked God to remove my shortcomings. I did this because the Bible says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just, will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I invited God to polish off all the rough edges so I could become spiritually mature and Christ-like. It was a bloody process, and that process goes on to this day. It takes years to unlearn bad habits and wrong assertions. I am still working on it every day. If you need proof of that, ask my wife. She'll tell you. But it's in those moments you hold on to God's word when he whispers, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. We moved on to step number eight. I made a list of all the persons I had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. I did this because the Bible says in Luke chapter six, do to others as you would have them do to you. I didn't like making that list. That list was long. All the people that I had wronged This was the toughest part. There were people on that list. Some of them had hurt me. And I didn't even want to give them the satisfaction of putting their name on my list. I did step number eight under protest. And I learned something from my friend John who said, John, or who said, Grant, here's the deal. You're only responsible for your side of the street. And God calls you to be obedient, to ask for forgiveness and to grant forgiveness. So pick up a broom and sweep. So I made the circuit asking for forgiveness. Some gave it willingly. Some told me to go to hell. But I pressed on because God gave me a broom. Pressed on to step number nine, I made direct amends to people whenever possible, except when, it would do, when to do so would injure them or others. I did this because the Bible says this in Matthew chapter five. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You know what? I'm always surprised we don't have more people walking out of church as soon as we're done worship. I'm surprised that there aren't more of us that go, oh man, I came to worship and here I am at the altar and God just reminded me that I need to go make something right with somebody. I'm surprised we don't have more walkouts at that moment. You know why I think we don't? It's because we just buy the lie. I'm fine. We're fine. My amends happened in coffee shops and homes in my office via mail, by the phone. The responses were wide and varied, and and honestly, some of them stung. But I learned something. Sometimes you got to go back through the pain in order to find the healing that God has for you. And every time you're obedient to God's Word, He meets you there. Moved on to step number 10. I continue to take my personal inventory when I'm wrong. I promptly admit it. I'll be honest with you. The time between realizing I'm wrong and promptly admitting it, I'm still working on shrinking that gap. 
I did that step because 1 Corinthians 10 says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So for everybody who already thinks recovery is beneath me, let me read that again. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. Step number 11, I sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God as I understood Him, praying only for the knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry that out. I did step 11 because Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If for no other reason, I would recommend everyone in the room look at 12 steps of spiritual journey because of the amount of prayer and scripture that's going to be infused into your life. Step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, I try to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all of my affairs. Some of you have been through this, and now it's your turn to give back. I'm trying to cause a problem for Pastor Wendy and our recovery community. I'm trying to overwhelm them with need. They're probably going to need some more leaders. So if you've done it before, you might want to think about doing it again. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. You know, you learn the principles and then you got to work them every day. That's why I said step 109 for me. I've done this nine times and it never gets old. Let me share some lessons I've learned on my personal journey, just so you kind of know where I'm at. Only Jesus should, shine, should sign my report card. Don't get me wrong. I still care about what you think. I just care less about what you think than what Jesus thinks. So when I'm driving home at the end of the day and an end of a morning like this, I've stopped asking the question, I wonder if the people of Christ the King were pleased today. Because truthfully, I don't care. Okay, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I said it was an ongoing process. I pray a different prayer. When I drive home now, I ask one question. Jesus, were you pleased? Jesus, were you pleased? And you can write me nasty letters and disagree with me on everything that I say. If you want to argue with scripture, you shouldn't write your letter to me. You should write your letter to Jesus because I'm going to try and quote as much scripture as I possibly can to you. Because if you want to argue with God, be my guest. You might end up in 12 steps or pastoring this church. I'm just warning you. <laughs> Secondly, the most subtle lie the enemy uses is that you're fine. Wholeness is not possible. Now, I believe absolute wholeness, that's reserved for heaven, but I think functional wholeness is something that God wants for every single one of us. Thirdly, I learned it's okay to say you're not okay. Boy, I would love it if we could ditch the worst Christian lie of all. I'm fine. I just wish we could just rip that out of the guts of our family here. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Now we're going to give you an opportunity to actually make that change. And finally, you never know the true weight of life's burdens until the burdens are gone. The first time I went through 12 Steps Spiritual Journey in 2004, I'll make a confession to you. I had two books, one that I kept in my car with my real stuff in it and the one that I brought to group. I don't think I'm the only one who lives two existences. 
Some of you live two lives. You have the one that you have when you walk into church on a Sunday morning and you smile at everybody and wave and put on your nice Christian mask and drink a lot of coffee and, and pretend that everything in your world is cool and then you walk out to your car and your Monday through Saturday is not even close to what we see or experience here. What if you only needed one book? What if what was in that book could actually be loved? What if you would realize that Jesus actually created you to be free, not a prisoner? Still working on this because of the people-pleasing nature, but I only have one book, and if you want to read it, you're welcome to. I try to open it as best I can every Saturday night and Sunday morning because it's a not just a story of brokenness anymore. It's a story of how God can put broken pieces back together. Let me show something with you. Uh, this is the Japanese art of kintsugi. I'm not leading you in the direction of Eastern mysticism. Okay, don't try to make that connection. I just want to show you something. This was a broken piece of pottery that somebody pulled out of a garbage dump. It was in a little box. And they put the pieces back together again, but what they used to fuse the broken pieces was gold. And now, in its broken, restored state, it's way more valuable than it used to be. It was just a piece of ceramic pottery. Now it's actually a treasure. I'd love to have that in my office. How about you? It's beautiful. I'm going to offer you something better than having your life fused back together again with gold. What if your life could be fused back together again with God? What if he could put your pieces back together again and people could look at it and go, wow, that was broken. Now it's beautiful. If you're there, I have a challenge for you. One week from this Monday night, we start 12 Steps. The cost is high. It's not an easy commitment. Most people drop out because it's just too hard. I haven't found anything in life worth having that was actually easy. So if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, come and join us. If you're struggling with the sin that owns you over and over again, come and join us. If you struggle with giving up control or just being in control, come and join us. If you've got unresolved stuff from your past that just keeps resurfacing at the most inopportune time, come and join us. If your life is just one train wreck after another, come and join us. If you're stunted spiritually, come and join us. If you're stuck, come and join us. If you can't figure out why you are the way you are, come and join us. If you're working through the pain of your life, come and join us. If you've been scarred by addiction or divorce or grief or abuse, come and join us. If you're in crisis, come and join us. If you need company on the journey to wholeness, come and join us. If you want everything that God has for for you, come and join us. If you've heard everything that I've said and your response is still, I don't really need recovery, I'm just fine. For the love of God, come and join us. <laughs> and if you're still in denial, come and join us. If you're ready for a change and ready to pay a price for wholeness, if you're ready to tackle the mess, come and join us as Jesus walks us together. 12 steps. A spiritual journey. As we close today, we wanted to give you a moment to think about it, process, 
work it through. Maybe call out the reason why you've already deflected and said, it's just, nope, nope, not for me. And as we do that, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and join me. And um, Catherine is actually going to sing for you. I don't want you to have to work. I just want you to listen to whatever God might be prompting inside of your head and your heart. So the worship team is going to come. They're going to sing a simple, beautiful worship course that we sing at Ecclesia, our young adult ministry. And, and I want you to just hear it and let it soak into your soul. And then ask the question, do I have the courage to walk 12 steps? You might be amazed at what God will put back together again in your life and in your soul. So just remain seated, hearts open. Let's hear what God may have to say as we close today. Aren't you so glad that God can see through the cracks? Aren't you glad that, that you know, that God doesn't use perfect, nice, polished vessels. I'm so glad that God knows how to redefine broken. Because maybe broken is what qualifies you to follow Jesus at a completely different level than you ever dreamed possible. I leave the opportunity in front of you. You got a week to think about it. But if you're convinced, head to the connection point. If you're a former leader, you've done this before, it might need your help. Apparently God's up to something. You may want to think about that too. Father God, this morning, I thank you for a spiritual family. A spiritual family that accepts imperfect pastors. I thank you for grace and the incredible opportunity that it is to stand in front of people and say, it's okay to not be okay. We're just not going to stay that way. So Lord, as we all walk our journey, whatever it is, from broken to whole, would we trust you to gather up the broken pieces and to create something beautiful out of what we or others have destroyed. Give us the wisdom and the courage to take one step today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.